Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am your host, Hayden Grove, joined, as always, by our Cavaliers beat reporter at Cleveland.com, Chris Fedor. And the offseason continues. The NBA Finals continue. You're approaching the NBA draft. We're definitely going to get some draft talk. But first, so Darius Garland hosted a camp and said that <laughs> and he's, he's, he's taken some time to, to meet with Colin Sexton, and they've been together. And the Colin Sexton story seems to be the big one of the offseason thus far. It seems to be, you know, what's going to happen with Colin? Because most of the other pieces, like we've said in the past, are kind of set. So what's going to happen with yeah. Colin Sexton? What What's going on with him? So, Chris, I'm assuming you were at the Darius Garland camp. Um, take us a little bit through what his thoughts were. Yeah, so I was at the camp, um, and he met with, members of the media it was a small group of media members i think about three of us maybe four of us um he met with us for about five to ten minutes or so um while he was taking a step away from working with the kids and you know i think i think there's this perception hayden that there's something close to a Kyrie dion thing when it comes to the garland sexton um uh, relationship and, and I just don't think that's accurate. Um, these guys have been friends for a long time. They hang out together in the summertime. They are now currently represented by the same agency. They're both with Clutch Sports. Clutch Sports is considered a family. That's the kind of agency that they're trying to build. Um, and Darius said that that him and Colin are going on a trip to Turks and Caicos soon. Um, so they're vacationing together. And it was funny because I said, you know, because Colin's involved, are you guys going to get in some basketball? And he was like, well, Colin's involved, so maybe we will. Um, so that tells me a couple of things. Number one, that Colin and Darius are still close, um, close to the point where they hang out together and they're going on vacation together. And number two, and this was confirmed by somebody close to Colin, um, Colin's basically full go right now. Uh, no limitations, no restrictions on the things that he can do when it comes to the basketball floor. Um, all indications are that he's going to be healthy and ready to go for training camp. And, and that's a good sign when it comes to Colin. So I, I think it's, I think it's interesting um, that, that so many people, maybe not so many people, but some people have tried to pit Darius and Colin against each other. Um, rather than accept the fact that they really do like each other, they like playing with each other, and they get along really, really well. Yeah, I don't think I've ever, I mean, I mean, you obviously see a lot more than I do, but I don't think I've ever seen a ton of people pit them against each other in terms, I, I don't really see the Kyrie and, or Kyrie and Dion thing at all. I mean, I, I don't know if it's just because of the nature of your job and you, the fact that you're seeing it every day, yeah. but like, I don't, I haven't seen much of that. So maybe I'm the naive one. Um, but I don't, yeah, I, I've never kind of put them in that regard. And I think that maybe the only reason that's happening is because of their playing styles and because maybe Garland does play better with Colin. Um, but I don't think like off the court that there is any issue there. No, there isn't. And there never has been. And Darius isn't that kind of guy. You know, he's somebody who has a magnetic personality who draws people in rather than keeps them at a distance. You know what I mean? Um, I think the other thing that sometimes goes into that, Hayden, is that there is a belief from some that I have seen that that think that the Cavs have to pick. You either have to go with Darius or you go with Colin. They can't play together. They can't be on the same roster. The Cavs can't afford both. 
And I just don't buy into that. I, I think it's, it's fair to say that there are still legitimate questions about how effective they can be together when they're out there sharing the court. Um, the numbers point to them not being effective. The numbers point to Darius being a better fit next to somebody like Isaac Okoro and Karis LeVert. But that doesn't mean that Colin and Darius can't be on the same roster. You can stagger the minutes. You can bring Colin off the bench and all those different things. So um, I think that might play into it as well, that now that Colin's coming up for, you know, contract negotiations as a potential restricted free agent um, and, and, you know, Darius Garland is, is max contract eligible this offseason, um, there is some belief out there that the Cavs have to pick between, um, between Darius and Colin, and they can't have both. Interesting. Interesting. Well, with Kyle, I mean, with Darius, there's going to be a max contract, right? I mean, I don't think there's any doubt. Like, if they're going to have to, if, the, if there was a world in which they picked, I mean, it would have to be Darius, yeah. wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about that. I mean, I think the Cavs have firmly established, um, both publicly and privately, that the core that they're planning to build around is Darius Garland, um, Evan Mobley, and, and Jared Allen. Um, the two most important guys within that are Darius and Evan. And then there are people that I've talked to recently that do view Lowry Markkinen as a core member or a borderline core member. Um, so he would be close to those three as well, closer to those three than Colin Sexton is to those three. So if, and the Cavs don't have to, but if they had to pick between Darius and Colin, it's going to be Darius. He's the one that they're going to try and build this thing around. He's the one that they're fully committed to investing in. Yeah, I mean, it makes complete sense. But that doesn't mean the Colin Sexton isn't a huge, you know, huge thing. So so Darius is talking about the Colin Sexton contract situation. And um, I know that you've kind of done some work on it in terms of like what what the market value is going to be, where he's at, like where the Cavs are at with him. So at this point on June 10th, where are the Cavaliers with Colin Sexton? What is his market value? Where do you think things stand as of right now? Well, those are three different questions, each one of them complicated in their own right. You can take your time. <laughs> where do you want to start? Um, okay, let's start with where are the Cavs? I think the Cavs are in a similar place that they've been in. They like Colin. They see his value. They want to have him back, but it's got to be the right price. Um, a team in this kind of market, Hayden, that they can't go – one, they can't go into the luxury tax this early. Um, and two, they can't go signing these guys to the kinds of contracts that are going to be really, really difficult to trade. I don't want to say untradeable because this is the NBA and I feel like every contract can be traded. You just have to attach a bunch of assets to that contract in order to move it. But the Cavs can't be throwing money around and, and giving Colin Sexton the kind of contract that would make it difficult down the road to potentially trade him. So I think they obviously view him a certain kind of way, um, but this is a negotiation that is coming up. So you have to have an honest assessment of everything about this guy, you know, what he's about. Can he be a winning player? How does he fit with 
the core that you're trying to build here? Um, are some of the flaws that you see with him correctable, um, manageable? Um, because when, when you're talking dollars right now and you're talking length of contracts, um, you have to talk about all of those different things. So, you know, obviously Collins people are, are going to start one place when it comes to these negotiations and the Cavs are going to start another place and they're going to have to try and find some common ground here. Um, that's, that's what happens in a negotiation. But, but the Cavs feel good about their chances of bringing Colin back on what they consider a reasonable contract because um, the market is in their favor. Restricted free agency is in their favor. Um, the winning record that they had this past year without Colin is in their favor. And he's coming off a significant injury where he only played 11 games. And before all of that happened, Hayden, there were countless questions around the NBA about Colin. Um, I think the truth is Colin Sexton and his playing style, um, he's a non-traditional shooting guard, an undersized shooting guard. He's not for everybody. Not every team in the NBA is going to value the things that Colin brings to the table. Um, they're not going to value those things the same kind of way when you're talking about monetary value. So um, that's where the Cavs are. They're going to extend him a qualifying offer at the start of free agency. And I think to some degree, they're going to allow the market to dictate just how much Colin Sexton is worth. Now, we flip it. Where is Colin at? Okay. What, what does Colin think that, you know, where, where is he at with the organization? So Colin and his camp believe that he is a starting caliber guard in the NBA, and they want starting caliber guard money. And, and they are looking at this situation saying, Nothing has changed with Colin. You liked Colin. He's still a bucket getter. He's still the guy that you drafted with the eighth overall pick, the guy that you pushed hard for the all-rookie team, and the guy that you once talked about being a core member of this organization. Those things haven't changed. Yeah, maybe Darius has gotten better. Yeah, Evan Mobley came to the organization. Yes, you traded for Jared Allen. But the things that you liked about Colin, those still exist. So, the way that it was phrased to me, and I point blank asked somebody in Collins' camp the other day, I said, hey, look, what do you think the market is for Colin? What do you think his market value is? And they didn't want to go into it, obviously, because they're not going to show their cards, especially to me, as close as I am to this person. Uh, and they said, we'll put it this way, Chris. Um, the, the per-year the per dollar figure starts with a two not a one. So that tells me that Collins camp is looking for a contract um, starting at $20 million or a little bit north of that per year, which is, you know, if you look around the NBA, Hayden, that's basically what a lot of these starting guards make. Right. So that being said, now, do you think that team that there is a team in the NBA that would give Colin Sexton a deal that would start in the two? So that's the other thing. There are people inside Colin's circle that that believe multiple teams are going to be interested in him this offseason. That the feelers that they've sent out there leads them to believe that multiple teams are going to pursue him. Um, but again, it's got to be at the right price. 
And if we go back to why the Cavs feel comfortable, we've talked about this on the podcast, Aiden. There are five teams with current projected cap space to lure Colin away in free agency. Okay, those teams are Orlando, San Antonio, Portland, Indiana, and Detroit. If we look at all of them, you can basically rule Orlando out. One, they had an opportunity to draft Colin in 2018. They chose not to. They chose to go Mo Bamba. On top of that, they are loaded at the guard spot. So I just don't see the need for Orlando that they're going to look at Colin as a missing piece in their rebuild that they're willing to invest that kind of money into. Okay. Uh, forget Portland. Portland tried the Dame CJ thing. They broke that up. I don't think they're going Dame Colin Sexton. And beyond that, Portland has the seventh overall pick in the NBA draft that's going to open doors um, in the trade route where their targets are going to be different. I think they're going to look at Jeremy Grant, right? I think they're going to look at Zach Levine. Um, maybe they look at Andrew Wiggins if Golden State is willing to listen. Um, OG Ananobi if Toronto is willing to listen. Those kinds of players, I think, is where Portland is going to focus. So let's eliminate them. Now we're down to three, okay? San Antonio, Indiana, and Detroit. Um, my sources tell me that there are multiple fans of, of Colin in the San Antonio organization. In fact, Hayden, um, one person that works for the Spurs, back when the Cavs were debating who to go with in the 2018 draft, this, this person did not work for the Spurs at the time, but it's somebody that Kobe knows, and it's somebody that Kobe trusts. And this person who is now working for the Spurs recommended Colin to Kobe Altman. Okay. So that guy is not the primary decision maker for the Spurs, but he's in the front office. So, and he's a fan of Colin Sexton. So there are multiple people like that in the Spurs organization. On top of that, you know, they did trade away um, Derek White at the trade deadline. They traded him to Boston. So they have an opening next to DeJounte Murray in the backcourt. And, you know, some of the issues that Colin has on the defensive end of the floor stylistically it's probably going to work a little bit better with DeJounte Murray because he's an all NBA type defender. He led the league in steals um, because he's long and rangy and he's got the kind of size to guard twos so that Colin at six foot one won't get exploited by some of those guys. Um, but there's a caveat here. You know, the Spurs have multiple first round picks in this year's draft. One of them is a top 10 pick and they could be looking at a guard there, Dyson Daniels, Malachi Branham. Um, if they go that direction, are they really going to then turn around and invest in Colin Sexton and give him 20 plus million dollars? Hard for me to see that personally. Uh, so now we go to Detroit. There, there are people inside the Cavs organization, at least one member of the Cavs organization, that is wondering if Detroit is going to make the kind of offer to Colin that, that makes the Cavs a little bit hesitant to match in restricted free agency because they're going to have matching rights. Um, there's a belief that he would fit well next to Cade Cunningham um, for a lot of the same reasons as, as what I'd laid out there with DeJounte Murray. Um, and, and Colin's the kind of bucket getter 
that Detroit could really, really use, a three-level score that can go out and get 20 to 25. So it would make sense from that standpoint. But again, Hayden, Detroit's drafting fifth overall. They might be in the range for Jaden Ivey. If they draft Jaden Ivey fifth overall to pair with Cade Cunningham, I'm not sure that they're going to use big-time free agency dollars, the cap space that they have, on Colin. And now we get to Indiana. Indiana makes a lot of sense. They've got Tyrese Halliburton, another bigger point guard. Um, they need somebody like Colin. Um, he's the kind of guy who is young enough, who can grow with what Indiana is building there. It is a rebuilding situation that the Pacers are in. Um, so I think Colin makes some sense there. And a lot of the draft intel points to the Pacers being more interested in you know, a stretch forward like Keegan Murray as opposed to another guard, so then they could use their free agency dollars on a guard like Callum. Um, so that is a long way of saying that there is not an obvious fit where a team is probably lining up to use, you know, all of their cap space that they have this offseason or a majority of the cap space that they have this offseason on Colin Sexton, who comes loaded with questions. Right. That he does. I mean, but the Cavaliers kind of have those same questions, you know? Um, well, yeah. I mean, if the Cavs have those questions and they know Colin better than anybody else, and if you have those questions and I have those questions, San Antonio, Indiana, Detroit, and all these other teams are going to have those same questions. Right. Um, there's also a possibility that a team gets involved in a sign and trade for Colin. You know, if you remember last year, there were zero restricted free agents that actually received an offer sheet, something that the Cavs are fully aware of, because restricted free agency in itself is just tricky. So there were zero restricted free agents that actually received an offer sheet. Lowry Markinen had to wait till August for a resolution, and the Cavs got involved in that in a three-team sign-and-trade, where they moved Nance to Portland, the Cavs got Lowry Markinen, and it was a workable sign-and-trade. You know, there are other teams out there that could get involved in sign-and-trade discussions with the Cavs. I think they would entertain those discussions, depending on what they would get back. But, but I think the bottom line is the Cavs are in no position whatsoever, Hayden, to just let Colin walk in free agency. They need to, at the very least, protect the asset, keep him here, and then if they want to explore a trade or a sign-and-trade, then they can go ahead and do that. And I think that's kind of what it's going to end up being, that he's back in some capacity. So they end up. I don't know how long he's going to stay. So they end up matching in, in, in pretty much every scenario. I don't know that it's every scenario because they have to be cognizant of the luxury tax and they have to be cognizant of, of having access to the full mid-level exception. And and based on salary cap projections, there's about a, a $21 million buffer to negotiate with Colin. If the number gets higher than that, if it gets to 22, 23, 24, either the Cavs have to make some moves financially, Dean Wade, Lamar Stevens, Dylan Windler, Jetty Osman, or, um, or they just maybe don't match because it's a little bit too steep for their own liking. Right. 
it's an because if, if it gets to 22, 23, 24 currently without the Cavs making other financial moves, then they are in the luxury tax, which is, I'm told, something that they would prefer to avoid. Right. Well, it'll definitely be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, again, if Collins Camp is thinking one thing, but these other teams are thinking another, or maybe if they are, I mean, what is the possibility? I'll just put this out there right now. What is the possibility, or what do you think the probability is that Colin Sexton's in training camp with the Cavs this season? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> I'm full 60, of 60-40, yes. I think 60-40, yes. Okay. Okay. But, but, but that's, because I'm, that's because I'm currently operating under the impression, and it seems like the Cavs are operating under the same impression that there's just nobody out there that's willing to give Colin the kind of contract that his camp believes that he deserves. Okay. And I could be reading that situation wrong. And, and maybe Colin's camp is going to be proven right. Maybe there's a team out there that I'm just not seeing that is desperate for that kind of player, a six foot one bucket getter. Because look, in the NBA, you know this, you've got to have playmakers and you've got to have bucket getters. That's what the game is all about. And there's value to Colin from that standpoint. And maybe there's a team that's going to overlook the flaws. They're going to overlook the defense. They're going to overlook the starter reserve question. They're going to overlook, you know, the three-point percentage, which was horrible in the first 11 games of this season before he went down with the knee injury. They're going to overlook fit concerns. Maybe there's a team out there that does. That would change, obviously, um, that answer that I just gave you, and that percentage would go a lot lower, I would say. Well, all we can do is wait and see, <laughs> right? That's all we can do is, is wait. He is probably, Hayden, the most fascinating free agent of this offseason because I think everybody around the NBA and even fans, um, I, I, think, I think even though there are questions about Colin, it seems like the majority of people have arrived at the same place. There is value, but how much do you value the things that he brings to the table? And, and how much are you concerned about the things that, that maybe are shortcomings for him? Right. Because we know this, like every team views guys different. You know what I mean? Like take a team for example, the Orlando Magic, in their rebuild, they prioritize certain traits and a certain kind of skill set. They like length and athleticism. So a six-foot-one shooting guard doesn't fit the profile of player that they're attracted to. You know, the Cavs have a profile of player that they seem attracted to, right? And you can go through every team in the NBA and, and one team is going to value something more than another team. So that's why I said at the beginning, you know, I just don't think every team in the NBA, even though there is value in Colin, not every team is going to value those things at the same level. Right. I think you're right in that he is probably the most fascinating free agent that we have right now. I would, I would totally agree with that. Did you see John Hollinger from The Athletic, who used to be in the Memphis Grizzlies front office? Did you see what his projection had for Colin Sexton? I did not, no. $10 million a year. 
Wow. Wow. That would not be good. For, well, that, I mean, if that's the case, he's in Cleveland, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. That's an easy match. Yeah. Wow. That's low. That's that's, that's a lot really di- low. That's that's a lot different than uh, than the one with the two in front of it. I can't tell you that. <laughs> hey, that's that's the mid-level exception. Yeah. I mean, Ooh. that's what Tyus Jones is looking at this offseason. That's what Kyle Anderson might be looking at this offseason. It's what, you know, TJ Warren who hasn't played in 2 years because of foot injuries. That's what he's looking at this offseason. Oof. That would not be good for uh, for O'Connor. Would not be good for O'Connor. Well, like and I that said, doesn't mean can... that that projection is accurate, but you know, it takes a lot of things into account, and it spits out a valuation of a specific player, and that's just one. Um, but it's a model that that John Hollinger uses, and it had Colin as like the 25th best free agent at a valuation of about 10 million dollars a year. Yeah, you're right. Jeez, that would that that's way different. I mean, it, the answer probably lies somewhere in the middle there. You know, it probably lies in like the 15 range. No. So the sense that I get is that the Cavs are more comfortable 15 to 18 million dollars per year. Yeah. yeah. Which, you know, if you look at comparable. um contracts around the NBA that's what Derek White makes okay that's what DeJounte Murray makes it's what Marcus Smart makes Joe Harris Karis LeVert Ricky Rubio Terry Rozier this past year Bogdan Bogdanovich they're all in that range that's what that's exactly why I think the Colin section would be right there And I think there's one other thing to consider here. Okay. So if you go back to last off season and the Cavs knew that Jared Allen was approaching free agency, they made him a priority because they looked at him as the bona fide linchpin of their defense, the franchise center and somebody that they wanted to build with. Um, he was a core piece, an established member of the core, especially given everything that the Cavs gave up. That was a relatively easy negotiation because there was more urgency to get something done with Jarrett, keep him out of free agency. And they gave him 20 million. Now he plays a different position. He has a completely different playing style. It's a different kind of fit than Colin. Right. But the Cavs do not view Colin the same way that they do Jared Allen. They don't. So nope. I would find it hard to believe that they would be comfortable going over the number that they gave to Jared Allen for Colin, somebody that they, they don't view in the same light. That's a that's a very good point, a very good point. But like I said, I don't think like I really don't think that if it's 20 that the Cavs would match. I think if it's 20, that increases the likelihood of a sign and trade right. or or a match and flip. I'll put it that way. 
okay. a match and flip a little bit down the road. But but I think 20 is the kind of contract that the Cavs would be queasy about having on their books long term. Right. Right. Well, <laughs> and, like I said, yeah, go. And if it's 20, I certainly think that eliminates anything when it comes to Karis LeVert, you know, next off season or the contract negotiations that they would have, you know, coming up this off season would go in a completely different direction because Karis's camp at this point, I'm told um, is pretty confident that they're going to make him a priority this off season, that they're okay. going to go into contract extension talks, and they're going to try and get something done. That doesn't mean it's going to happen. Um, but that's the feeling around Karras' camp right now, that the Cavs like him, the Cavs believe in him, and the Cavs acquired him for a reason, and it wasn't for just two months of last year. Right. I think with Karras, I mean, maybe it's just my view. I think with Karras, they would do it. Like, they just want, I, I would want them to be able to see, like, for a couple of months, okay, this is the guy that we, you know. Without a doubt. You know, this is the guy that we that we traded for, and then you go on a contract extension. I don't know if they would do it without a doubt. Blindly. Yep. Yeah. So. Completely agree. Yeah. Well, like I said, we 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 will wait and see. Still, plenty of time until restricted free agency. Um, it's going to be very interesting. You're right. Going to be very interesting to see if Collins, you know, people are correct, or if. You know, the Cavs are probably more in the right ballpark or if John Hollinger's correct at the $10 million, that would not be something that they would be, that he would, that Colin would be happy with, but you know, then prove him wrong. Right. That's, that's how I I'm am fascinated to see. I am fascinated to see how the market, the NBA market truly values Colin. Yeah. Because I have been trying to get that answer for two and a half years now. Yeah. And this is finally the opportunity where we're going to see it. It's not just talk, right? It's not right. just speculation. This is where the contract has to come. Right. You're right. You're 100% right. Um, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk uh, a little bit about um, the NBA draft stuff with the Cavaliers. Uh, they've hosted some players, uh, maybe some new interests there. So we'll be right back in the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everybody, to the Wine and Gold Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm Hayden Grove, joined with Chris, joined by Chris Fedor, and we just finished a conversation about you know Colin Sexton and you know the fascinating offseason that the Cavaliers are at, or that he is heading into with you know multiple teams potentially being interested or the Cavaliers kind of you know trying to figure out what best contract to give him, but they do have the NBA draft coming up uh, that is going to be June 23rd and. Um, the Cavaliers have the 14th overall pick. We've talked a lot about it, but finally we're starting to get some uh, some moves. So the Cavaliers hosted Malachi Branham uh, from Ohio State, and Chris. I mean, the interest is obviously there, but do you still believe that he's going to be available at that at that uh, spot? I do not. <laughs> um, based on the conversations that I was having with people close to him, Drew Joyce, his high school coach. Um, and, and Chris Holtman, uh, the Ohio State coach, and some other people that, that I know around the league, um, including one who was at his workout with the New York Knicks recently, um, it's hard for me to see that. Like, not everybody can go top 10, 
and some of the guys that we're talking about in the top 10 are going to fall out of that and they're going to fall further down the list and, and closer to the end of the lottery. But, but I just think Malachi has enough combination of, of safety and upside. And, and there aren't many holes in that scouting report that, that some team in the top 10 or top 11, because the Knicks are picking number 11, is going to say, yeah, let's invest in that guy. Right. I mean, it's like, it's it makes sense. I mean, I think it would be perfect fit for the Cavs, but um, you're right. There's not a lot of I don't of think perfect. I don't think I, perfect, Because right? he's not a three. Yet. Well, man, that's fair. Like, he does have to get bigger and stronger. He has the wingspan of six foot ten, which helps, even though he's listed at six five and a half. Right. But but I think, man, in the NBA, Hayden, you are who you can guard, and a lot of that is changing because it's positionless basketball and it's swish heavy defenses and stuff like that. But it, I I think it's going to be a, a a number of years before I can see Malachi guarding, you know, Jimmy Butler. Andrew Wiggins, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, uh, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, those types of players. I think for a big chunk of his early career in the NBA, he's going to be more of a two. So okay. if he was a three and he projected as that, with the skill set that he has, I would say, yes, perfect fit. At this point, I stop short of that and say, good fit, makes sense brings a skill set that the Cavs don't currently have, but, you know, he would be in that mix with Colin Sexton, Isaac Okoro, Karis LeVert. Cavs have a lot of guys that can play the two spot. That's true. That's true. Uh, yeah, so I, I, fine. I'll, 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 I'll walk it back a little bit. I'll say a great fit. How about that? I won't go perfect. I'll go great. You can go good. I'll go great. Because I don't know, I just okay. see I, I see him a little differently. I see I do see him. Maybe I'm just seeing the potential. You're right. Maybe it is a couple of years down the road. But, um, but I, I mean, regardless, I don't know. You know, it's if you think he's not going to be there at ten, then what are we talking? Or not going to be there at fourteen? Then is it really even <laughs> worth? Is it really even worth talking about too much? You know, talking about a guy that's going to yeah, be yeah, because you never know what's going to happen in the draft. Crazy that's things true. happen in the draft. That's true. The Cavs also hosted uh, Marjon Beauchamp. Uh, along with Malachi, what other you know guys are in the in the mix here in terms of um, who they're going to bring in, who they're going to work out, who they're interested okay. in? I mean, is it pretty much the uh, is it pretty much the same that we've talked about, or is there any new more more new developments here? It's pretty much the same that we've talked about. I'm told that there are ten to twelve legitimately on the number fourteen radar. Um, I think we talked about this last week on the podcast. J.B. Bickerstaff received 10 to 12 different film breakdowns of, of, of some of these prospects so he could get to know them better. If the Cavs are taking the time to give those to J.B., it doesn't mean that that's um, the only pool of candidates that they're going to choose from at number 14, but it's a pretty good indication that those 10 to 12 have kind of separated from the other ones. Um, and I think the Cavs are trying to be realistic about who's going to be there at number 14. It's really hard to predict, obviously, but I think they're trying to give a realistic um, list to JB and the other coaches so that they can familiarize themselves with these guys. 
Um, the only two that I think are considered, you know, off the radar or outside the box, Arizona's Dalen Terry, um, who a lot of mock drafts project to be like between 20 and, and 30 or maybe even fall out of the first round. Um, I had one person tell me that he could be this year's Josh Primo. Josh Primo last year went number 12 overall to the San Antonio Spurs. He was the shock of the lottery, but San Antonio looked at him as a long-term investment. And they said, okay, we're drafting here this year. If Josh Primo goes back to school and enters the 2022 draft, he's probably like a top 10 or maybe even top five pick. So let's make the investment a year early. I think the Cavs could look at Dale and Terry the same kind of way. Plus he's six foot seven. He's got some playmaking skills known for his defense. And the Cavs believe that, that shooting with the right guy, with the right work ethic, and based on, you know, the shooting form that the guy has, it's more times than not is a correctable flaw. And they feel comfortable with their player development. They, pl- uh, they feel comfortable with their shooting coaches. So Dalen Terry is one that I have heard um, that is on their radar at number 14. And Marjan Beauchamp is another one that I have heard is in the mix at number 14 as well. Probably seems too high because most mock drafts, again, have him between 20 and 30. Um, But he's got size. He's got length. He's got athleticism. He's 21 years old. um, So he's probably more ready than some of the other guys that we could talk about at number 14. Um, Has had a really, really difficult road, a really difficult pass. He comes from the Seattle um, area in Washington, Um, so he's tough. He's defensive-minded. He had a good year for G League Ignite. He's represented by Clutch Sports and Rich Paul. Um, And I think there's there's some upside and intrigue to him, especially with the 14th pick. We have talked about uh, Dale and Terry, and we've talked about some of the others. So if you if you have missed those conversations, we've definitely addressed them on previous episodes of the podcast. So um, yep. definitely go check that out. Um, I mean, at this point, is it just kind of wait and see? I mean, you know, they're going to bring in more guys, I'm assuming. Um, but they don't really have any, like, it's not like where they have the number one pick where, like, there's nobody in front of them. They're just going to have to kind of, like you said, have 10 to 12 players that they're looking at, and if the top one's there, then take yeah. them. I mean, that's kind of where they're at. Yeah, I mean, it's a more expansive candidate pool than in the past. You know, right. if you think back to 2020, um, when the Cavs drafted Isaac Okoro with the fifth overall pick, it was really, okay, Isaac, Patrick Williams, um, Denny Avdia, Obi Toppin, and probably Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, Devin Vassell was probably in that mix too, but it it was a smaller pool. And then last year it was, okay, Evan Mobley, everybody knew Cade was going one and there was a feeling that Jalen Green was going two. So then it was like, all right, Evan Mobley or Scotty Barnes or Jonathan Kaminga. Am I missing somebody? Franz Wagner? No, not really. So it was basically that group. Um, And they were trying to pick through them. And, and this year, it's like I said, 10 to 12. That's a lot of different guys that you're trying to parse through and, and see who's the best fit. Um, I, I will say that, that I do think the Cavs are going to allow fit to drive this decision more than in past years. 
and they're going to allow positional fit to drive this decision a little bit more than in past years. Um, I'm actually told that that multiple centers, Jalen Duran and Mark Williams, that their agents have told the Cavs for, for now, no, we're not coming in for a workout. We're not wasting our time because you have Evan Mobley as the center of the future, and you have Jared Allen, who you committed to last offseason. So you're not taking a center at number 14. Um, right. So I think – I think it's the best guard or wing that the Cavs could find at 14. Um, the other name who's a little bit off the radar, who I'm told is in the mix for the Cavs at 14, is Branham's Ohio State teammate, EJ Liddell. And the thinking there, Hayden, is that, you know, Kevin Love's on an expiring contract, so Liddell gives the Cavs some immediate front court depth as somebody who's further along on the developmental curve. And if, if Kevin moves on following this year or if the Cavs do decide to trade Kevin this offseason, then, you know, they have somebody inside the organization that can transition into that particular role. Um, plus, you know, Liddell has an offensive game to him. He also has some defensive highlights on that resume. And the Cavs were working on bringing him in, a work, in for a workout. I, I don't know. I don't have it confirmed that it actually happened because I was told that Liddell had to reschedule multiple times already. Um, but he's somebody that they're interested in and they do want to bring him in for a workout. You know, beyond that, the 14 names are the ones that we've talked about so many times. Ty Ty Washington from Kentucky, Abaji from Kansas, Usman Jang, uh, the French swingman who played for the New Zealand breakers, um, Tari Eason from LSU, try not to forget anybody uh benedict matherin but the Cavs are under the impression that he's not going to be there at 14 uh, dyson daniels but he's probably going top 10 maybe even top five uh i think that about covers it i like i, I really like ej liddell but i think the problem there is that he's six seven but he's supposed to play like you know kevin love at six ten so eh. Like that's an undersized guy that I'd be like, man, I don't know, I don't, because I, I don't so think I he had, um, I don't go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was gonna say I don't think he has. I don't think he's a good like. He seems like he's too slow, too like big to play the three, but he's not big enough to play the four. He's kind of a tweener. Like it's just, and he's and he's good offensively. He's good defensively. There's no doubt. He's a good player and a good kid. But like, where does he fit at the NBA level? Kind of reminds me of like. So, Jared Sullinger in a weird way. Interesting. I had somebody recently compare him to Grant Williams of the Boston Celtics. Okay. Yeah. That's the guy probably who came cool. into the NBA. Yeah. He had no position really, um, but he's become a key piece, like a Swiss army knife for the Celtics. He guards everybody. He guards two through five, basically. And he's built like a fire hydrant. Right. So maybe possibly, EJ Liddell turns into that kind of player. Um, that was the comp that I got recently that I thought was actually really interesting. Johnny Davis from Wisconsin is another player that I know that the Cavs like. So, so if you remember, in past years, we've talked about the pipeline from Team USA to the Cavaliers. Remember that? Yes, 100%. Because Kobe got his start with Team USA, and, and some of the people in his life when it comes to basketball that he trusts the most beyond the people that he works with in the Cavs organization are people with team USA. So right. he's going to get great Intel 
on anybody that has connections with Team USA. Um, Johnny Davis is one of the few players in that number 14 range that actually played for Team USA. And the intel, I'm told, that the Cavs have gotten back about Johnny Davis is sparkling. The kind of kid he is, the work ethic that he has, um, the way that he can contribute to winning, um, being such a team player. So people that Kobe trusts very, very much have given a positive review of Johnny Davis. Um, and there are questions about him, obviously. Is he athletic enough? Like, he doesn't have the athleticism of Jaden Ivey, and he doesn't have the athleticism of, of Matherin. So is he athletic enough? Is he a two? Is he a three? Is the three-point shot going to come along? Why did he struggle so much at the end of the year? Was he gassed? Was he injured? Or did, you know, teams get on to the way that, that he was successful at the beginning of the year? Um, but I, I get the sense that he's such a good kid and he's considered a more safe prospect that he's probably going to be gone off the off the board by the time that the Cavs draft number 14. But but I thought it was important to, to put his name in the mix so that we don't forget anybody here. I'm trying right. to go through and see, did we miss anybody? Uh, oh, Jeremy Sohan is another one, the Baylor kid that the Cavs like. As, as an executive told me um, the other day, because I said, hey, what about his shot, right? The Cavs need more shooting. Um, he doesn't shoot it all that well right now. Is the shot ever going to come? And the exec turned to me and he said, Chris, <laughs> if he could shoot, he'd be in the top five. Yeah. So there are so many other things, especially defensively, playmaking, passing, um, basketball IQ that, that people like about Jeremy Sohan from Baylor. Um, the Cavs like him as well. Not an ideal fit for the Cavs because, like I said, he doesn't shoot it great, but tons of upside that I think the Cavs would be willing to take a talent grab there. If, if he's on the board at 14, he'll get consideration. Well, we are less than two weeks from the NBA draft, so we uh, we will be getting there soon enough. And Cavaliers, like you said, have plenty of options in number 14. We'll see what they end up doing. Um, but we have, we'll have we definitely talk about it at least one more time before the draft starts, and then we'll obviously talk about after the draft. Um, but in the meantime, we, uh, we encourage you to keep listening to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. We appreciate you. We also encourage you to check out Chris's subtext, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. All you have to do is go to cleveland.com slash Cavs. Go to the click the blue banner at the top of the page and you'll be directed right to where you need to go. 14 day free trial uh, and three ninety nine a month after that. Chris, anything else on this beautiful Friday? Well, I want to I don't remember if we talked about this on the previous podcast, Hayden. But now that, you know, you know, the pool of candidates on the Cavs number 14 radar, I want to know who you like the most. Is it Branham? I think so. I think so because I don't. I mean, admittedly, I'm not. I'm not. I don't spend as much time as probably you, um, you know, watching college basketball because I, you know, yes, I, I, you, your job is basketball 24/7. I'm all over the place. So, yeah. I want obviously I watched Malachi Branham at Ohio State and I watched kind of the the way that he played and I, you know, I, I do. I, I like the fit there. Um, I did not. I have not watched much of the G League guys, so I haven't, you know, necessarily can't give you too much of an opinion there. Um, sure. I, I, again, I was a, I was an advocate of trading the pick of packaging Colin and the pick and, and, right. and doing right. something with it. so, um, you know, I, I'm okay with pretty much anyone they pick there because again, it's, it's 14 and it's not, 
you know, you're not looking for a franchise cornerstone, but I think the Dale and Terry thing is really interesting too. I think that, you know, if you want to pick a project, what better place to do it than 14 overall, you know, a guy that you don't necessarily need to be great right away. Um, but a guy you can develop. So I like, I like Dale and Terry. I like Malachi Branham. Um, Liddell is as much as I like Liddell, I don't think he's a good fit, um, for a lot of different reasons. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, the G League guys are interesting because they played at a higher level, but then, but they're not as visible. Right. So right. it's it's very interesting. So what I want to go back to something that you. Who's your favorite? I, I want to go back to something you said about Dalen Terry because I think that's right on the money, and I think it's a really astute point, and I think it's something that the Cavs are considering. I get the sense that it's more likely that they would take a home run swing on somebody like that as opposed to a plug-and-play rotational guy who's further along on the developmental curve. And this doesn't mean that Abaji is out completely, and it doesn't mean that E.J. Liddell is out completely or even Jalen Williams from Santa Clara is. Um, But they weren't supposed to have this pick. Right. They weren't. And and next year's first-round pick, is more than likely going to be conveyed to Indiana. If if the Cavs reach their goal next year, their first-round pick is going to be conveyed to Indiana, and they won't have an opportunity to add, you know, the kind of player that they could potentially at number 14 this year. So given that, and given the fact that I think they feel good about their projected rotation coming into this year, it could change. Negotiations with Colin Sexton are important. Karis Levert negotiations, what happens in free agency with the mid-level exception? Do they want to go the trade route? Is there somebody that becomes available on the market that the Cavs think, hey, that guy's a really, really good fit for us. That's somebody that we don't currently have on the roster. He can help us more than Isaac Okoro or Jetty Offman or a future first-round pick or something along those lines. But there is a sense that they would feel fine running it back and making smaller moves around the margins. If that's the path they choose, then I think we can look at this rotation and say, it's pretty much set when it comes to the first seven, eight guys. Right. And then the swing ones are Dean Wade, Lamar Stevens, Dylan Windler, some of those guys. So if the Cavs are looking at it that sort of way, Hayden, then whoever comes at number 14, there's no pressure whatsoever on this guy to, to, to compete for a rotation spot immediately, to make some kind of impact immediately. Maybe he spends time in the G League. Who knows? An yep. opportunity for him to develop a little bit more. But that's the kind of freedom that they have coming off a 44-win season and picking number 14 as opposed to picking in the top five. Isaac Okoro came in with a bunch of expectations. A lot of pressure was on Evan Mobley. He was plastered on billboards the day after he was drafted third overall, okay? So this is 14. No pressure for this guy to impact the team right away. So because of all of those things, I think it's more likely that the Cavs take a swing on Usman Jang or Dalen Terry or even Bochamp or, you know, some of the other guys that Branham, some of the other guys that we talked about that are probably further away from from making an impact in year one. Right, right. 
I like, I mean, I like that. I, I like that mindset. I do. I, you know, I'd write, you're right. I'd rather at 14 take a swing. You're right. 100%. 100% correct. Because this could be their opportunity, Hayden. Given what could be available to them at 14, this could be their opportunity to finally find the long term solution at the three. Something that they don't currently have on this roster. Or this could be their 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 opportunity to find the long-term solution at the two guard somebody that they view as a better fit next to Darius Garland than Isaac Okoro or Colin Sexton or or, or Karis Levert even um it's a unique opportunity that the Cavs have that they weren't expected to have and they only have it because they had a second half of the season collapse where a bunch of injuries caught up to them and they only got to the play-in tournament and got bounced by Brooklyn and Atlanta so I think they're going to look at it that sort of way, approach it that sort of way, and maybe even execute that. We'll see. Right. All right. Well, like I said, less than two weeks. So it'll uh, it's coming, it's approaching us quickly, and we will have answers soon. Um, in the meantime, go. like, yeah, exactly. Let's go. In the meantime, like I said, check out the uh, Cleveland.com slash Cavs. Go to the blue banner at the top of the page. Find Chris's subtext, insight, analysis, all kinds of great stuff at leading up to the NBA draft. Send straight to your phone. No better time than right now, than right now to go get it. So uh, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. Chris, appreciate your time as always. And, uh, again, just a lot of wait and see at this point, but we'll get there. We'll get there. You know, you got to relish this time because, you got to relish this time because, you know, once it happens, um, it, it'll be over. And then we'll, you know, then we'll be able to talk about some very uh, tangible things. But, you know, it's fun to kind of wonder sometimes. So, Appreciate everybody joining us. Thank you, Chris, for your time. Um, And we will talk soon on the One Gold Talk podcast. Have a great day. Have a great weekend. Take care.